0: and of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Well, good morning. Uh, whether you're joining us online or on campus, I just want to say welcome to Sunday morning at Sunridge. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Britt. i here. I serve here as the lead pastor, and you know, for all of you who've been at Sunridge, you know, for. Two years five years some of you 30 plus years I have to say that one of the greatest gifts that God has given me in my life is to be able to retire from the fire department and be your pastor for the last almost this month is nine years so you I'm really grateful for these years and I'm glad you haven't fired me yet and uh, so it's you guys are a gift a treasure to me and my family and I'm just enjoying this time of being the pastor of Sundridge Community Church. You can be seated, and I'm going to get started on my sermon. Thank you, Mark. You know, um, according to the Pew Research Center in the last 10 years, there's been uh, very little change in uh, the number of Americans who celebrate uh, Christmas. But uh, the number of people who celebrate Christmas as a religious holiday has declined by 10%. Now, the majority of Americans, according to you know, all the surveys that I read, still see Christmas as a religious holiday, but uh, the percentage of people who believe the key elements of the nativity story has dropped. And those elements are things like the virgin, the virgin birth, the visit by the magi, the angel announcement, and that Jesus was laid in a manger. And interestingly, the, the biggest drop Uh, was found among uh, white mainline Protestant Christians. And uh, so, it's a little factoid as we're in the middle of our Christmas series, but I think an even better question is, is what do people actually know about the birth of Jesus? And in 2018, LifeWay Research found that 65% of Americans said that Christmas should be more about Jesus. And I know some of you are like, yeah, yeah, it should be. But interestingly, uh, they also found that most people could not give you all the details of Jesus' birth. So I'm going to put a graph up here on the screen. And uh, this kind of indicates different categories of how people feel about whether they can uh, tell the story of Jesus' birth accurately. If you just start from the left and then go to the right, you can see that first column says 22%. 22% of people believe that they could confidently tell the story of Jesus's birth and then you see that next column uh, also in green but the tallest one uh, that's the largest segment 31% of people say they could tell the story of Jesus's birth but they'd probably miss some details and maybe get get some of those details wrong and then there's another quarter 25% who could only they they only feel confident they could give a quick review a brief review And then 17% of people say they couldn't tell any of the story of Jesus' birth. So, here's what this study says to me. That even though two-thirds of Americans say that Christmas should be more about Jesus, nearly half of Americans say they couldn't tell the story of Jesus' birth with any accuracy. So, by the way, the the data also revealed that uh, the more regularly you attend a worship service, the higher your confidence to be able to tell the story. So uh, we also—they they tell us they that uh, half, about half of Americans plan to attend church on Christmas Eve this year, and uh, many of those attendees will, are not regular church growers. So, just want to put it on your radar that our services are at two and three thirty, and this is a great opportunity to get your friends and yourself up to speed on the Christmas story. That was a joke. I was only, you guys are like taking me so seriously. So, and we're in week two of this teaching series we've called The Real Story of Christmas. And I kind of stole that, as I mentioned last week, from a series, a TV series that was on reels that launched in 2016. It it took all these blockbuster, uh, Oscar-winning movies and kind of went into the background that were based on true stories and they dug deeper into the true story. Uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff. And uh, I also want to say that I'm indebted to one of my favorite authors as a source from for this series, James Emery White. I've mentioned his name uh, many times here. Some of my favorite of his books are The Rise of the Nuns, Christianity for People Who Aren't Christians, and A Search for the Spiritual. But in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at a biblical account of the birth of Christ. And uh, so we're trying to look at what the Bible really says about people and the events surrounding the Christmas story and we're also trying to debunk some myths or misinformation uh, that have grown up around the Christmas story and then hopefully what we'll do is we'll discover a few hidden gems all of us that come from the Bible or the ho- historical context so hopefully we'll learn some things today So last week we looked at the real story of Joseph and Mary and today I want to I want to look at the real story of Jesus' birth. And hopefully we'll come away with a firmer grip on the story so that we feel, we all feel more confident in telling it and knowing it, but also believing more of it in the process. So here are some of the real facts of Jesus' birth. So let's, let's start with when it actually happened. What is Jesus' birthday? Well, this may not be an a shock to you but Jesus was not born on December 25th that's in your notes he was not born on let's look at the bible what does luke tell us luke 2 starting in verse 1 in those days caesar augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire roman world and everyone went to their own town to register so joseph also went up from the town of nazareth in galilee to judea to bethlehem the town of david because they belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And then in verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So, long passage, but here's some of the things we learn right away about Jesus' birth. First of all, a census was going on. Now, that doesn't tell us much because it actually took months to conduct this census because it required people to return from, uh, from wherever they were living to their place of their birth, the city of their birth, from all over that region in Palestine. So, we don't know exactly when they went to Bethlehem. And we're also told in this passage that the shepherds were living with their flocks out in the fields which was typically in the first century between March and November. And that has led some scholars to believe that Jesus was actually born in the summer. But it could have been much later because the winters aren't that harsh in Judea. So the truth is, the Bible never tells us the exact day of when Christ was born. I mentioned that last week, Jesus' birth wasn't even celebrated by the early church. Uh, only his death and resurrection were preached and celebrated. And his birth only began to be celebrated in the 4th century. So why do we celebrate Jesus' birth on December 25th? Jesus' birth is celebrated on December 25th because of tradition. Because of tradition. Um, that day was chosen to be the day to celebrate Jesus' birth because on, in AD 274, on December 25th, The Roman emperor Aurelian established a pagan cult called Sol Invictus, a sun god, and uh, it included gift-giving. And Christians wanted to give gifts in honor of Jesus, not a pagan god. By the way, Jed mentioned our sun-rich offering uh, in December, Uh, traditionally Christians you know are extra generous during this month and we are trying to raise the funds to have a full-time high school pastor here we spent a lot of time and a lot of money searching we we set our budget to have a part-time pastor in there like we do in our middle school craig and julianne winger are doing a fantastic job in there but we haven't found the right candidate that way and we feel like our our church really needs someone to minister to these high schoolers and currently Jed and Teddy, our retired uh, high school pastor who's in her first year of teaching, they're, they're picking up the slack in there. And it's too much for them. So I'm asking you to pray about that with us. That's my little advertisement for what we're trying to do this month. But here's something interesting about Sol Invictus. Aurelian chose December 25th because it coincided with the winter solstice that time in winter that is the shortest period of daylight and the longest night. But even though that, this practice came uh, from solstice it, doesn't, sol, solstice, it doesn't mean that the early Christian celebration of Christmas was a pagan celebration. A little background. Solstice occurs two times a year. There's, there's one in winter and there's one in summer. And the winter solstice, solstice is not a religious phenomena, but it's an astronomical one. That's uh, caused by the Earth's poles being tilted the furthest away from the sun. And that makes the winter sol- solstice the 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 longest night um, in the calendar. And in summer solstice is exactly the opposite, right? It's the shortest night. And ancient civilizations, including Israel, found these natural phenomena to be helpful to them in their sacred celebrations because it was a reliable way to mark time. So even the Bible says that one of the reasons God created the sun and the moon and gave, it the, gave them this cycle was to mark sacred times for religious practice. Genesis 1.14, God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark times. to mark sacred times and days and years. So even though the Bible doesn't give us uh, the exact date of Jesus' birth, scholars believe that the church chose December 25th because it made sense in so many fitting ways, and it held powerful imagery for the early church. It allowed Christians to give gifts to others, but with an entirely different motive than this pagan practice and also winter solstice meant that the day a maximum darkness has passed and from that point on the daylight would become stronger and stronger and they associated that with the birth of christ like john 1 9 says that he is the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world so celebrating The birth of Jesus on December 25th wasn't a capitulation, but actually it was a subversive, countercultural action by the church. Sol Invictus means unconquerable son. But the celebration of Christ's birth made the point that the pagan son of God had been eclipsed, the, the pagan God of the son had been eclipsed by the true light of the son of God. So summing up, the actual birthday of Jesus could be December 25th, but we just don't know. And uh, we know it's not stated so in the Bible, but the point is that we celebrate his birth on December 25th is the day that we've been doing it for over 1,800 years. That's the real story of Jesus' birth and why we celebrate it on December 25th. Still with me? Okay, so what about the year? Um, Jesus wasn't born 223 years ago. You probably know that at that time, there was universal agreement that the birth of Christ separated or divided history. B.C. is before Christ, and A.D. Anno Domini, uh, it was Latin for uh, the year of our Lord. So according to our calendar, Uh, That would make Jesus 2,023 years old. But here's a real story. That calendar has a mistake in it. And we know that because of the Magi's visit to Christ. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at the real story of Herod. So I don't want to get in too deep here, but there were multiple Herods. There were two during the time of Christ. Herod the Great was the king. Uh, at the time of Jesus' birth, the one from whom the, 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 the fear of a rumor that was spreading in Palestine of this new king, this Herod, he hunted for Jesus. And although he was outwitted by the Magi, he used them to find this child that he was hearing of. Now, we don't know exactly when the Magi visited Jesus, but only that it was, one, after his birth, but before his family escaped from Bethlehem to Egypt in order to avoid Herod's search. That's in Matthew 2:1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, often in like our nativity scenes, they're depicted as uh, like the magi came on the night of Jesus' birth. But that's not what the Bible says here. The shepherds, arrived the, night of, the shepherds arrived the night of his birth, but the magi, not, not the magi. Here's what Matthew says. On coming to the house, verse 11, Matthew 2, they saw the child, key word, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him, and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So you can see in Matthew 2, 11, 1, Jesus was already born. They were no longer in the manger. But they were in a house. And Jesus is called a child, not a baby. So this is at least, at at the very least, it's months later. You guys still with me? Okay. I know I'm like, I'm nerding out here. But since Herod wanted to murder Jesus based on the timing of the star that led the Magi, he hunted for someone two years old or younger. And Herod died in 4 B.C. And that would place the birth of Christ somewhere between 6 and 4 BC. And that would make Jesus four years older than our calendar year. So Jesus would actually be celebrating his 2027th birthday this December 25th. So that's the real story of his birth, and it's why it's celebrated on December 25th and the year of his birth another question what about the conditions of his birth Luke gives us a great picture in Luke 2 7 and she gave birth to her firstborn a son and she wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them now we've all seen these kind of like sanitized interpretations of what it looked like you know on our Christmas cards and our nativity scenes and it's it's just like this picture of serenity with the animals and the people gazing down on the blue-eyed baby Jesus, <laughs> lying at what looks more like a cradle than you know, an animal trough. But that's not the real story. And I know some of us here, we, you know, we have you know uh, stories of less than ideal birthing conditions. In my former life, uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned to the church before, but I used to be a fireman. <laughs> And I delivered babies. I delivered babies in living rooms, one in a bathroom, and in ambulances driving through traffic going code three. But in each case, um, the mom and, and baby were eventually headed to this pristine hospital room, where it was temperature controlled and you had your own television. And you're assisted by doctors and nurses, and they brought you meals right to your bed that was automatically raised if you pushed a button, and then you could just slide the tray in front of you, and you could just, it was pretty cushy, other than they wake you up every two hours at night, right? But the conditions of Jesus' birth were harsh and bleak. That's a true story. Mary and Joseph were in a structure where livestock were kept. So uh, scholars believe it's probably like a damp cave. And Jesus was placed in a feeding trough, which, um, you know, would have food scraps left in it, and animal slobber. And maybe you would lay your third baby down in that, but not your first <laughs> baby, right? So Luke says, I'm just glad to know you guys are still with me. Luke says, when I wrote that, I really laughed out loud, but um, (laughs) thanks for appreciating. Luke says it was Mary uh, that wrapped Jesus up in strips of cloth called swaddling, you know, in some versions of the Bible. So we see there, she had no assistance. Um, She was, as we mentioned last week, she was probably like 13 or 14 years old, and she's caring for a baby. She had to feel awful lonely. And uh, so just, some of you have... 13, 14-year-old, 15-year-old daughters, picture them with a baby far from you in these conditions. It's not a Hallmark movie, is it? So what can we take away from the real story of Jesus' birth? Not just the story we see in marketing and in our movies and in particular Hallmark movies uh, and Christmas specials that we watch every year. The real story of Jesus' birth, I believe, uh, reveals the nature of God. And to understand that, we first need to remind ourselves of who Jesus is. Number one, Jesus is the Son of God. That's what the Bible tells us. Without that that understanding, the birth of Jesus is just another story. As Elvis sang, a cold and gray morn where another little baby is born in the ghetto. Only not in Chicago, in Bethlehem. If Jesus isn't the Son of God, then he's just one of many that are born under resource, without the means and opportunity to succeed, likely, likely to struggle just to survive, and to be invisible in, in the society of the first century. But that's not the case with Jesus Christ. He wasn't just a human being. He's the Son of God. And he is 100% human and 100% divine. And he was that from the beginning. Christian faith explains this by holding to what we call a Trinitarian understanding of the nature of God. That is, that there are three persons who are one God. Not not three gods, but three persons who are one God God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that means that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, exists eternally. He had no beginning and he has no end, and he was present at creation. And at his birth, he became God and human flesh. Matthew one twenty three: the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And it was this God, the second person of the Trinity, that came into the world the way I've been describing this morning. That is the real story of his birth. And what does that tell us about the God who would take on human flesh in this way. For one, the birth of Jesus reveals the humility of God, the humility of God. Paul tells us about that in Philippians 2, 6. Jesus, who being in the very, who, and speaking of Jesus here, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on the cross. So we know the humility of God in that he willingly became a human, and that he suffered the cruelest form of execution when he gave his life for those far from God. But also we know this because he would come into the world under such desperate circumstances. He took on the nature of a servant. Uh, that word is doulos, uh, from which we get a, a doulo, right? Is that, am I saying that right? Someone help me out. Doula, yeah. Doula, you, you say doula, I say doulo, whatever. <laughs> In in the first century, that was a slave who took care of the needs of others in the household. So, in Jesus' birth, we see the humility of God. We also, the birth of Jesus reveals the approachability of God. The approachability of God. I don't know about you, but before I understood Christianity, I thought of God as completely the opposite of approachable. Um, The picture I had of God which was often reinforced by Christians that I knew or preachers, was God was always angry. And he was angry at all the bad people. And before I became a Christian, I thought that um, I was one of those people. And I thought of God as kind of like this cosmic killjoy that was looking for people who are enjoying life and seeing to it that that stopped immediately. And I thought... Of God as someone with whom I, I had to earn um, my way into his acceptance. I thought if I could just be good enough uh, that I would have it, at least uh, for the time being. And I was afraid of God. I was afraid. When you think about it, if God's developing this plan of coming to earth. He could have come in so many different ways, right? He could have come as an avenging angel to slay his enemies and all the bad people. He could have come as a royal king to uh, oppress his subjects or as a judge to condemn. But he came into the world as a baby, uh, vulnerable, gentle, incapable of even changing his own diaper. I don't, I don't know if they wore diapers then. But When Jesus taught his his disciples to pray he said we should begin our father in heaven but he chose to enter the world as a helpless infant. Why? To say to the world this is the God of the universe that is desperately seeking a relationship with broken human beings. Paul says this about says this about the relationship between a believer and God. In Romans eight fourteen. he says, For all of us who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So that you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. That's the way the Bible describes conversion to Christianity, being adopted into God's family. And now we call him Abba, Father. Abba isn't just the name of a band from the 80s. Um, it is the most intimate word for father in the first century. Some scholars say that the best translation of that in modern English today is daddy. Um, now, I have all daughters, and they, they have used daddy um, when... They were in trouble or had a car accident or they needed something. um, Now, they call me dad when I wore uh, white socks with Birkenstocks with my shorts. (laughs) But daddy means they know how much I love them and I'm going to show up for them. I'm going to be there in their crisis. And that's who God is to us. The real story of Jesus' birth is that's the kind of relationship God desires with each of us. Why else would he come into the world in such an approachable, humble, and available way? So last, the birth of Jesus, kind of all this builds toward this, that the birth of Jesus reveals that God is for the broken. He's for us. Let me ask you something. Who was first told about the birth of Jesus, that Jesus was born. Anybody? The shepherds, that's right. You say, oh, yeah, I remember that part. That was in the movie. <laughs> so, you know, I don't even need this part. This isn't the real story, Britt. We already knew that. Well, in Luke 2 uh, it says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. and They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will, be, that will bring great joy to all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has bo- been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That's the scene that makes it into the movie, and we're all familiar with it. But unless you know the context of the first century, you don't know the real story. Because shepherds were considered the lower class, very low class. They were uneducated, they were nomadic, and they smelled like sheep. And they were despised by the upper class. And like, I mean, we've talked about this before, like in the first century, certain classes of people, even women, could not even testify in court. They would not be believed. No matter how many of them testified, shepherds were in that category. Their testimony... Was invalid in a court of law. So, what does it mean? What can we pull from the fact that God sends an angel to these social outcasts first to hear what had happened in the world on that day? I'm going to ask our kids to come up. Are they here yet? They're not here yet? Okay. They're like, he got done way sooner than he usually does. Well, let me keep talking until they come up. The good news, um, well, first of all, when Jesus announced his public ministry, he read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and this was in Luke's gospel, Luke 4, 18. Jesus launches his ministry, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He's anointed me to bring good news to the who." To the poor, he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So the good news will be delivered through Jesus to those who at that time felt felt most unworthy to hear good news and certainly unworthy to receive it. And so, I don't know who I'm talking to today. Many of you are like longtime church attenders. And, but if you feel far from God, that no one sees you, that, you're, that God really isn't interested in you, or that you're too broken, or you feel so desperate about that, that you feel the need to hide that brokenness. I want you to know that God sees you, not, not in a way to, like, judge you or point it out to you. And Jesus' birth reveals the very reason that he came to earth, to bring the good news to those who need it most. So God is not avoiding you. He has come to you. He came for you. And he didn't come with judgment or wrath. He came into the world in the most humble manner possible. Under the most difficult circumstances of that day. Why did he do that? I believe it was to demonstrate to the world and to you and I. Who he was. Who he is. And. Because he came to save us, not to condemn us. Jesus said that. He came to save humanity from their sin. Matthew 121 says of Mary, she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That is the real story of Jesus's birth. The gospel is the good news, that's what gospel means, is that there is no person that has ever been born that is so far from God that God's love cannot reach them. There is no person that way. And it also means that there is no person that is so good and so utterly righteous that they don't need saving by Jesus. That is the good news. And that is the reason Jesus came to be born on this earth. That's the real story of Jesus' birth. Let me pray and then um, all this cuteness is gonna come up here. And it's been so encouraging to see so many of you young parents in the front row to hear my sermon today. So much better (laughs) from the front row. It's very encouraging to me. God, thank you um, for your son, Jesus, for what even his birth teaches us about the real story of how you feel about humanity, human beings, those of us that are broken, those of us that are recovering, those of us that are messy, and those of us that are messed up. And I thank you for each one of these little kids is about to come up on this stage and sing about your birth, the birth of Jesus and that we get to be a part of what you're doing in their lives and the lives of these families. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you guys. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.